if it's not happening for you, make it happen. So there's so many wonderful things, right? We have the internet, we have Twitch, we have YouTube, we have TikTok, like make your own festival. If you're making something and you're not getting into festivals, have a festival in your backyard, do stuff with friends, make these things happen, start that conversation around yourself and your work. And then eventually you'll build that network and get noticed. Select CT. What's up, world? This is the Select CT podcast, where we talk about the digital media landscape in Connecticut and what it means for young people who want to get into the industry. I'm David DeRoche. I run the podcast program at Quinnipiac University. And this podcast is a production of Digital Media CT in partnership with Quinnipiac, the University of Connecticut, and the Connecticut Office of Film, Television, and Digital Media. You know, we often hear about these big dreams for animation working at giant studios like Pixar and Disney. But if you talk to professionals in the industry, so many students are underprepared for the realities of that world. So this episode, we're going to focus specifically on advice for aspiring female animators. And with us to talk about this is Samantha Olshan. She's a professor of motion design and animation at the University of Connecticut. Welcome to Select CT Podcast, Samantha. Hi, thanks for having me. And also with us is Bridget Costa. She's a motion designer at Craftsman Plus. Welcome, Bridget. Hi, thanks for having me. So the two of you actually know each other. I understand that Bridget graduated from UConn in 2018, and she was a student of Sam's in the digital media and design program. Isn't that right? Yes, we worked very closely together starting uh, my sophomore year all the way through uh, my senior year, keeping in touch even as Sam uh, took a detour in her career for a little bit. Um, Sam was always uh, one of the professionals I would go to for all of my motion design learning. All right. So Bridget, tell us a little bit about your career, how you transitioned from UConn into the animation space as a profession. What was that like for you? So I was lucky enough that um, I was able to start my career off as an associate designer um, at ESPN. So with that came much more of a graphic design workload with, you know, when I wasn't doing on-air shows, I could work on offline projects that often involved a little bit more animating and a lot more um, delicate practice, uh, much longer term projects versus when you're in broadcast and you're working in the on-air space, everything is done very, very quickly. Um, so I was lucky enough to start there. I grew up in a sports family. I grew up watching Sports Center ESPN, and I had a great time working there. Um, I just wanted to pick up the pace of it with my animation and my motion graphics. So I left and came to my current company, Craftsman Plus, where I've found the opportunity to really uh, build upon my animation skills and develop a lot more as a designer. That's very cool. So Bridget, when you're in school, thinking about your career, what was your 10-year plan and has that changed at all after entering the field? I'll tell you what, I had no 10-year plan, actually. I knew that I wanted to work in a digital space. And I knew that I wanted to create things that I was passionate about. Um, I had not quite found where that passion lied. Um, Again, as I mentioned, I was a sports fan growing up. So most of my research and most of my tentative plans really involved being a designer for a sports team or sports broadcasting. And so that really did work out for me initially. But it was never really like, I want to work at ESPN for XYZ. It was kind of something that I had a general idea of what I wanted. But I think what helped me most in managing my own expectations after graduation was being open to a wide range of opportunity, because you don't really know what you like until you find what you don't like. 
So well said, you know, and I feel like so many of us upon graduation, you know, have a more of a vague idea of where we want to be in 10 years than a specific idea. Uh, was it animation specifically or were you open to anything or more than just animation in the media space? I really wanted to work in animation. I found the problem solving and the challenges way more fulfilling, just my personal preference. Um, so that was really my goal was animation or motion graphics in some capacity. So now that you're doing that, do you see uh, different opportunities emerging or are you open to different opportunities as you've gotten your feet wet in the field? Are there, are there things within animation that you might want to explore uh, that you weren't aware of as a student? Yeah, I think that I've really kind of found my niche. I know which kind of of animation I like to do. I really like to work in 2D, 2.5D. Um, with After Effects is my bread and butter. Um, anything you want, if I can do it, you know, I can do it in After Effects. Um, and I've found that I don't love 3D motion graphics nearly as much as I thought I did while I was in college. And that came with the territory of getting my feet wet in these different spaces. Um, I got some opportunity to try that 3D motion graphics while I was at ESPN. I was creating some front ends for UFC and the show Daily Wager. And it was fine and all. And now I'm at this company where I really get to focus on After Effects and really learn the ins and outs of the program. And um, that definitely was the biggest change for me because I expected to grow into the 3D space and work more on that and develop that. And I found that I'm really happy developing these 2D skill sets um, because they're still needed in so many different ways. I know a lot of commercials and uh, media content that we see is in 3D, but there's so much more that's 2D that we almost don't even register sometimes. Well, I've learned something today that there is something called two and a half D. I had not heard that term before. Uh, maybe quickly give us like the bullet point of what exactly that is. So two and a half D is using After Effects's render space to make things that are kind of 3D, but kind of not. So it can be a 2D layer in a three-dimensional space. So a totally flat shape can exist in Z space and the physics kind of go along as well with that. So if you push it back in Z space, it's going to get smaller in comparison to the other shapes that are further in front of it or larger than the ones that are behind it. So it's, it's like doing the 3D in the 3D space without the 3D objects. There is, um, there are extensions where you can build 3D objects in After Effects as well, and you can do just straight 3D in After Effects, but for the most part, I use it in that um, 2D elements in a 3D space kind of way. Got you. And I have to say that uh, I was not expecting the word or the concept of physics to emerge in this conversation. So I'm very excited that it has, uh, but <laughs> very cool stuff. And for you technical people out there, you probably understand exactly what uh, Bridget's talking about. I now want to ask Samantha a little bit more about this because, you know, Bridget mentioned that you know, as a student, she was really into the 3D stuff, but as she got her feet wet, she realized that that wasn't for her. I'm wondering, how do you manage stuff like that as a professor teaching students to um, keep their mind or, or keep their options open, but also um, to learn you know, specific skills that, uh, that they're really interested in so they're, they sort of develop their passion? How do you manage that as a professor? Right. That's huge. And I think that the, the big word for me is, uh, both as a practitioner and a professor, is to be media agnostic. And that means mm -hmm. uh, not married to any one single practice program, method, outcome. 
Um, I'm really excited to hear all about Bridget's career and this flexible thinking. And I think as a professor, as much as we can teach flexible thinking, uh, creative problem solving, and iterative processes uh, through their work, I think that's where we can start to embrace uncertainty, uh, embrace failure. I think that's a very big thing we do in my class. We try something, uh, it either sticks to the wall or it doesn't, and then we pivot. And I think that not uh, when I say media agnostic, yes, we're animators and yes, we're motion designers. Um, some of those will be done digitally, right? Some of those will be done on a computer. But traditionally, this, this whole field emerged out of analog processes. So while we're learning advanced digital processes uh, like 3D, uh, 3D motion design, or what I'm actually, uh, my detour and my pivot in my career, I'm getting more into XR or uh, interactive motion, um, augmented reality and virtual reality motion, we can pivot towards those uh, emerging technologies, but we can't forget analog technologies. And then we try to marry both of those. And I really feel like through Bridget's work and the conversation she's having, she's, she found that that area and that space to do that. And I want to, I also want to mention, she's talking about what we call invisible design, right? The 2D, where we don't necessarily see it as animated on the screen. It's, it's just well-designed uh, media, right? It's something integrated into our, our daily lives. And that can be both a digital and an analog process. And I'm really glad you brought up the, the process uh, or the iterative process and accepting yeah. failure because I do feel like um, for a lot of young folks, you know, they kind of expect to be, you know, off and running and, and making incredible things from the beginning. But, you know, focusing on that, because that is where a lot of learning comes into play, right? When you when you tried to get something to work and it just doesn't. And then just accepting that and moving on. I feel like that's that's probably really important for for your students. I want to shift a little bit to talking about what it's like being a woman in the animation space, because as I'm sure both of you know, that the industry tends to be pretty male dominated, tends to be a boys club. So um, Sam, starting off with you and your experience, what are some of the challenges you feel aspiring female animators should consider as they transition into the industry? Mm, it's a great question. Um, I want to preface it by saying I almost don't want them to think about the challenges. I want them mm. to go for it. I think, um, I think if you have the animation bug and you have that creative bug, just go for it. When you hit those roadblocks and those hurdles, then you can uh, you can grow from there. Don't give up on it. And I, from experience, I can say, you know, I'm in a different generation, and I think that this generation has different challenges. Growing up, I always knew I wanted to be an animator from a very early age. And as I was both learning not only the history of animation, but the practice of animation, it was very male-dominated, right? We have Disney's nine old men. There were no nine old women. There was maybe one woman, and it, you know, she was on the sidelines. So, right. uh, and that was Mary Blair, by the way. So I don't, I do want to acknowledge her name, but um, I do, I, I do think that it is a challenge, and it's a challenge that women, um, both from the past and today, should never give up on. Um, I think that I'd like to buoy young women by saying the stories that you tell through your work are extremely important. And the stories of other people you tell through your personal practice are extremely important. So um, don't give up on that. Um, I also think there are, you know, we're, we're probably going to touch on this later, but there are organizations and support systems uh, for women in animation. And those didn't necessarily exist when I first started in the industry. They were more organic, where you would just be working in, say, a small studio setup, and there'd be maybe one other woman in the room, and you'd have lunch. Now there are organizations like Women in Animation 
that have very well organized or SIGGRAPH that have, you know, women in, in uh, emerging art tech. So there are organizations for women to communicate not only about their challenges, but about their successes. And I think that's extremely important. No, absolutely. And I like this idea that, you know, just going for it and not letting the worry of uh, the the industry being male dominated sort of play any sort of uh, motivating factor in your head, because I imagine that that could just probably get in the way of just doing good work. Um, you know, and I'm wondering, you know, since the Me Too movement, do you either of you feel like uh, that there has been a shift in the presentation of uh, genders on, in animated uh, pieces? Like, do you feel like that we're having more parity in terms of representation uh, since Me Too became a thing. Bridget, I want to uh, start with you. What do you think? I think that people are just truly more conscious of the biases that they held and the way that they had been treating women. And I think that goes for a general note is by bringing that to the forefront of people's attention, I think it has definitely had an impact on even in, you know, inter-office uh, conversations and interactions. And I think people are just more aware of how their actions are affecting the women around them and the women they value. Um, so, I, you know, I think the, I think the movement was definitely important for, you know, to shine the light on like the problems that were kind of swept under the rug beforehand um, whether that came to the actual content of the media that we were creating or broadcasting, or just the way that you were being uh, valued in the office and being valued for your work. So um, I think, you know, I really joined the industry after this movement. So I can't really speak to what it was beforehand, but I did work for a company that had had questionable reviews when it came to situations with women. And from my experience there, um, it was just a very conscientious, conscientious effort um, across the board. And as uh, Samantha touched upon earlier, um, there are organizations in place to make sure that women don't feel like they're alone anymore, um, that they can feel like a part of a group, that they can feel as valued um, to the rest of the company, which has definitely made an amazing impact. And I definitely want to talk a little bit more about those organizations as we wrap this conversation up in a little bit. Um, but I want to get Sam's take on this, Sam, because it seems as I watch animation and certainly, uh, you know, I haven't seen everything that's out there, but it seems like there's still like this, this uh, sexualized version of women being portrayed in a lot of animation. Do you mm -hmm. see any kind of shift in that space? What are your thoughts on that? Totally. I think it's a two-pronged question here. Um, we could say in actual industry, in motion design and animation, there's definitely a paradigm shift. And that there's, uh, you know, more representation. There is a conscious effort for inclusion, uh, not only women but minorities. I think there can always be more. So that's one thing I, I do want to address. But within actual media, as in the narratives that these either studios, small studios, or independent filmmakers are producing, or even commercials, right? Representation in commercials. Um, that's a seesaw, right? That's always going to be mm. a seesaw. And and as a maker, you get to decide what part of the seesaw you're going to be on. Um, I think if we look back 20, 20 or 30 years ago, there was really one type of role, um, I think, for a female form on animation. Um, well, maybe two, right? You had you had a um, hypersexualized or you had like old evil witch, right? right. Uh, one or the other. Right. And I think, nothing you know, that nothing in between, very little in between. Uh, I think that's something that isn't 
it isn't something we can pin on the animation industry. That's sort of the history of narrative, right? If we look yeah. at fairy tales, um, and I think that it was a really, uh, if we look at the history of animation, now the entrance was really through fairy tale. So if you know, it's going to take time for us to get to uh, types of more representation. However, in the past fifteen years, there's been a major shift, and then in the past five years, you're getting a shift beyond that. I mean, if you look at characters like Tuka and Birdie was a series that I thought was really, really fascinating. Now, I mean, they're not women in, uh, or should I, say, I shouldn't say they're female in a female form. They're, you know, birds, but they're women or cats, but they're women um, right. or Bojack Horseman, right? That's sort of the opposite end of that, where I feel like they were hypersexualized versus having narratives and stories and real issues in Tuka and Birdie. But those are, those are different sides of that coin. I think there's always outliers, like you could argue, um, the Simpsons, which is one of the longest running shows, uh, animated shows in, in history has really not hypersexualized their female characters. And they have had, you know, issues that have helped, uh, carry female representation and animation forward. But, um, I feel like if we're looking at traditional studio systems, right there, that's a much more troubled past, uh, in recent history, I feel like, you know, the last five years, I do feel like those big studios are producing, more inclusive, uh, more female, uh, and more powerful roles, uh, where it isn't the typical, um, you know, princess in a tower needing to be saved. So I do think that some of our females, um, female characters are having more empowerment and ownership. And, and I also want to mention they're being led by more female teams, right? More female directors, more female, um, technical directors, supervisors, uh, animators, character designers. Some of the most exciting work that I've seen have come from women that I worked with 10, 15 years ago who uh, didn't have a lot of representation in the room. So uh, I do think there is growth and that should be uplifting and exciting for some of the uh, students who are interested in entering the space. It's always going to be a challenge and they're going to have to fight for their roles and their stories to be told the way they want to tell them. So you brought up an interesting point in how narratives for women characters have become more diverse, that we're talking about in, um, female characters from diverse backgrounds. And certainly I have seen that trend, but at least it seems to me that at least the visual depiction of the female characters mm. remains, you know, the thin waist and, you know, the attractive female. I would just love to see a chubby female heroine. Like, are we going to see that anytime soon? <laughs> well, I, I haven't signed any NDAs, but I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Um, I, I think it's coming. I think it's coming. It's going to be a while, but it's coming. I mean, if we look at, one thing, if we're looking at the studio system, it's going to be a long while. If we're looking at independent animation, it's already arrived. There's, um, yeah. and this is actually something I tell my students and Bridget, if you want to speak to this, uh, you know, jump in, but something I tell my students to really embrace is not every animation, um, needs to be done out of a big studio system. Uh, I, I do a lot of short independent films and in those films, bodies look however they'd like to look. And, uh, the narrative, is um, the body is supported by the narrative, right? Movement is supported by the narrative. So right. there are a lot of really wonderful um, experimental animations coming out of not only the US, but Europe, China, um, other parts of Southeast Asia that have women uh, addressing movement and addressing their stories and their bodies in very different ways. Um, almost too many that I think we could actually, too many to mention right now on this on this chat, but um, a lot of wonderful artists out of um, RCA, Royal College of Animation in the UK, um, CalArts, 
uh, graduate films. And I think uh, even in even in the state of Connecticut, I think a lot of our students, um, I know, Bridget, you're reentering as a graduate student and you have that opportunity to uh, animate. Uh, and a lot of our students are playing with both diversity and inclusion, not only in race and ethnicity, but in body and gender. And so, Sam, what advice would you have for aspiring animators, either male or female, that want to get into the space? What could you tell them? Ooh, oh, so much. Just keep making, right? <laughs> Work every day. Um, I like to do this thing where I set a timer. And every day I say, okay, I'm going to animate. It doesn't matter if I'm drawing, if I'm 2.5D, you know, After Effects, if I'm doing 3D. Do digital sketches. Make animations. Share it with people. Um, submit into student festivals. Submit to local festivals. Uh, join a group. Find, find a meetup. Uh, just don't wait, right? Uh, nothing will come if we don't try, if we don't make. So as much as we're making, maybe we're sketching a character, maybe you're writing stories, but do something little every day. And then eventually we'll feel comfortable to share that work. Then you'll share that work and talk about that work. You'll talk about that work and make your next piece and meet people. And that's how to organically start to build uh, your network of animation locally. And then oh, from there, it will expand totally. Um, I also think that any of these organizations would be great, right? Women in animation is great. Uh, there is a ton of others I'm going to list right now. Black and Animated, uh, that is a great one you can follow online. Rise Up Animation, that's a, a, an amazing organization based out of California that often does portfolio reviews um, and really um, tries to support first-generation students of color coming up in animation. Um, Obviously, SIGGRAPH. SIGGRAPH has uh, often uh, local meetups. I know it's harder with COVID, but hopefully those things will be happening uh, more and more as we uh, come out of uh, the pandemic. Also, um, if it's not happening for you, make it happen. So there's so many wonderful things, right? We have the internet, we have Twitch, we have YouTube, we have um, TikTok. Like, make your own festival. If you're making something and you're not getting into festivals, have, have a festival in your backyard. Do stuff with friends, right? Make these things happen. Uh, start that conversation around yourself and your work. And then eventually, uh, you'll build that network and, and get noticed. So Bridget, tell us your thoughts on this. Well, with the advice that I would give to anybody coming out of school right now, looking to get into the industry, um, male, female, animator, designer, whatever, um, is to own what you know and be confident in what you know. Because, you know, if, if you if you let up that you're insecure about it, people are going to really dig into that. So be secure, be confident in what you know, because you have worked so hard to get to where you are. And just continue being willing to learn from those around you. You know, everybody brings something new to the table, things you might not even expect. And so maybe somebody that you end up working with at that job, you're not entirely sure is right for you it has a passion and that one thing that you are super weak in, you know, there's, there's no wasted time. There is no wasted experience. Um, you're going to learn every single time you get an opportunity. Um, even if it is just learning what you don't like, because again, if you learn what you don't like, you're one step closer to finding what you do like. I love this. So get out there and do it. And if it's something that doesn't exist yet, create it and a network. I feel like that's great advice for anybody in any kind of field. So I want to thank Bridget Costa and Sam Olshan for joining us on Select CT. Bridget and Sam, thanks so much for your time today. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for having us. 
Select CT is a podcast production of Digital Media CT in partnership with Quinnipiac University, the University of Connecticut, and the Connecticut Office of Film, Television, and Digital Media. Check us out on Instagram and Twitter at Digital Media CT. That's Digital Media underscore CT. Tell us what you think about our show. We'd love to hear from you. You can also follow me on Twitter at Saving EJ. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and other apps. If you want to learn more about the digital media landscape in Connecticut, you can visit digitalmediact.com. The producer of Selects TT is Justin Matley. Matt Warwood is our executive producer. Our marketing coordinator is Marvin Lewis. I'm David Roche. Thanks for listening. Now get out there and make some media. Select CT.